Well, good evening, friends. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for our Wednesday night study. Uh, Coming to you tonight, uh, both uh, those of you that are uh, perhaps in the room and those watching us online, uh, we are streaming the entire thing. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, being patient with that. I'm actually, uh, when you're watching this, I'm on vacation. So uh, thank you for uh, being a part, being faithful to tune in. Lots of great stuff tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this this study tonight uh, and the one that comes next uh, week, they are just filled with things that we have really used to lay up doctrinal truth. There are some things in some verses in these that are really foundational verses in the establishment of some of the beliefs that are the most uh, central to uh, Christian faith. And so there's some really powerful things in here. Uh, we're beginning tonight in uh, uh, verse 6 of chapter 2, Colossians 2, 6. And we'll probably go all the way down through verse 15 tonight. So let me read that, and then I'll, uh, I'll be blessed to pray for us. Let's uh, read. Colossians 2, 6-15. Paul writes this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that your word is always available. It teaches, it changes, it molds. Um, Father, I just pray that you would begin to move across our land, Lord. Move across our church and other churches. And then people that aren't even yet in church, not even a part of your kingdom yet, and begin to stir in them a hunger for the truth and the solidity that is only found in your word. Father, I pray you would push aside all stylistic roadblocks and all uh, perhaps uh, things, Father, that people have incorporated into the thinking that say uh, that solid teaching and and doctrinal truth is uh, not what they want or that it's boring, or that it's, or any of those things, Father, because unless we lay a foundation of your word in our heart, we'll be deceived. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that you would create a hunger in each person. Those that are tuning in here, Father, I pray you'd bless them, let this word be alive, and let it be beneficial. Holy Spirit, I have felt your presence just every day, all week, uh, guiding, directing, speaking, pushing me, and I thank you for that, and I pray you do that in each person, that they wouldn't just uh, sort of incline their hearts to you during a time of worship or a specified time, but rather, Lord, that they would live in your presence, and they would walk and move and have their being, Father, by your presence. 
And that's what I ask you to do. Let this word tonight be a part of that and draw each individual more firmly to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good stuff here. Let's begin right in verse 6, Colossians 2, 6. Paul says again, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. My goodness, you could preach a year just on that verse. What an admonition that, 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 that Paul is bringing to people that said, Listen, you, you received him in a particular way. Now walk in him in that same fashion. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first of all, I want you to notice that Paul uses the word therefore. Now, you know, anytime that we see a word like that, that's a, that's a connecting word. It connects this thought to the thought that is previous. Therefore, links this to the previous thoughts. And that thought being that Christians should walk in Christ, becoming complete in Christ. That's, that's, that's chapter 1, verse 28. And by disregarding false teaching and maintaining stability of faith. That's chapter 2, verse 5 that was just preceding this. Uh, so what he's saying is that, listen, there, there are things that you need to hold on to. You need to, you need to be stable in these things. He establishes that, and then he says, therefore, after you've done that, in the same way that you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Now, let's think about that. How did you receive? The, the, the proper question would be, how had they received? But I think, there's a, I think we can extrapolate that on out to us, because I think there's some things that are similar anytime anyone receives Christ Jesus. First of all, you don't come to Jesus arrogant. You don't come to him full of yourself. You don't come to him demanding or laying down the law. It's not a negotiation of what you want. You bring yourself to Jesus and you lay it humbly in repentance. You lay yourself, all that you are. If you're going to receive the kingdom of God, if you're going to receive him into your life, you're going to come and you're going to be broken and you're going to be repentant and you're going to lay your whole self before him with no regard to what you get out of it. It's all about submission to him and his kingdom. I think we've all had that moment. Paul says uh, that's built on the foundation of who Christ is. He's the Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the perfect Lamb. There is this moment where we recognize who He is, and in that, we come to Him in that way. Um, if you remember, this whole letter is written as a response to false teaching. We're going to hear a lot about that in the, in the next few weeks as we dig into this about the false teaching. And Paul, you can really tell what the false teaching was because of what Paul says about who Jesus is. And let me just tell you, the Gnostics were beginning to, were beginning to push forward the idea that Jesus wasn't God, that he was a teacher, he was a prophet, some other things, but that he wasn't deity. And Paul is taking that to task. If you remember, a couple of times I've used the word Christocentric. This book is Christocentric. It is all about Jesus. It is centered, Christ-centric, Christocentric. It is centered on Jesus. Our faith is centered on Jesus. Our salvation is centered on Jesus. And Paul is establishing that. And he says, listen, in the way that you accepted who Jesus was, now walk in that. Don't go back to something else. Just as you received him, walk in him. Received, when he says, just as you received, that speaks to the gospel message that was delivered to them and in which they believed through faith. Don't, don't go off the tracks now is what Paul is saying. And this message is applicable to every Christian in every genre and, uh, of time. It, you received him in a particular way. You acknowledged who he was. Now walk in that. My goodness, what a powerful message for today's situation today's world don't don't amalgamate jesus with something else he's the lord let him stay the lord 
Don't, don't try to mix him in with worldly philosophies. In fact, we're going to hear about that in a moment. No, no, no. You keep him high and lifted up. It's the only way. You received him in salvation that way. Now walk in it. Live in it. Stay in that position of reverence to who he is and what he is. And keep him exalted in your thinking. That's what verse 6 says. Verse 7 says this. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Some very powerful imagery here as to how the believer is supposed to, after the moment of having accepted Jesus, how we're to live, how we're to walk in him, is what Paul is saying. And then he, he talks about what that walking in him looks like. He says, first of all, rooted. Rooted. Come on, we know what that means. I'm, I'm getting excited just talking about this because this is how we have to live. This is what we contend for. This is the thing that we have to fight for and push other things away for so that we stay rooted in Jesus. It might sound like preacher rhetoric, but there are a thousand voices right now trying to uproot you out of Jesus and get you to latch on to them. Philosophical opinions, political opinions, uh, world viewpoints and, and world views that would try to, try to steal your attention, your affection, your uh, your time, your resources. Try to take your eyes off of Jesus and his kingdom. But Paul says, be rooted. If you're going to walk in that walk, you understand that that's, a, that's an ongoing verb. Uh, listen, walk in him speaks to every day staying close to Jesus. And he says, be rooted. Now, we understand the, the context of that. Put down roots. Have a firm grasp. Uh, go deep. Don't, don't be surface in your belief. Don't, don't be easily toppled by the No, no, deep roots. Put down deep roots. S suck up the life-giving substance of who Jesus is in the kingdom of God. Put down roots that hold on. It's, it speaks to foundation. Have a strong foundation in what you are. This sounds like discipleship to me, doesn't it, you? You can't, you can't just be... I mean, I, I heard a sort of a neat, uh, you know simile or metaphor whichever you would apply to this that there are a lot of Christians today that are a million miles wide but only a quarter of an inch deep and I'm sure that I've been guilty of that at times but we are to put down deep roots we are rooted in Jesus then he goes on and he says not only rooted but built up uh, built up rooted and then built up doesn't that sound like a that sounds like, okay, we built a good foundation, and now we're building something. Sounds like process to me. You, you're, you've now established what the foundation of your life's going to be. That's Jesus. And now I'm building on that foundation. I've been, I'm, I'm not just staying at that rudimentary level. I am building. I am learning. I am growing. It's process. Every day upon every day, you know, jot upon jot. Uh, I am working towards maturity in Jesus. I am taking in his word. I am digesting the things of God. The kingdom of God is growing bigger and bigger. I am bidding, I am, I'm being built. I am becoming more than I was when I began. I put my roots down in a good foundation, and now I am being built up. This is what walking in Jesus is about. This isn't just a prayer that you prayed one time, and then you go do whatever you want. No, this is a life that you walk in. Good foundation rooted in Jesus, and now built up. It's a process of growth that we engage in. So, rooted and built up, and then listen, and established in the faith. Established speaks to strength and stability. So I've put down a good foundation. I've been rooted. I'm engaged in a process. I'm being built up. 
And all of that is increasing the stability and the strength of my faith. I am more and more established. My goodness, that's a great, that's a great three-part sermon right there. I've been rooted, I've been, I'm building, built up, and I am becoming more and more established. The substance of my faith, the substance in my reliance upon God, my understanding of his kingdom and the inner workings of, of, of the Christian faith and the life, those are getting larger and larger, more and more established. Now, straight up question, is that what your Christian life feels like? I wish I could get the whole world to watch this video and answer that question. Wish I could get everybody in our church to answer that question. Is that the direction that your Christian faith is going? I've rooted myself in Jesus. I am being built up and I'm getting more established every day because that's what Jesus wants to do in you. And we live in a time where you desperately need that. This would be great to tell other people. So when you see somebody, ask them, are you rooted? Are you being built up? Are you established? Come on, that's, that's good stuff. Amen. Rooted, built up and established. All of that through faith. And then he says in the last part of that verse, abounding in thanksgiving. There is something about being thankful for all that the Lord has done in you and through you that sustains us, that builds us, that establishes us. You, you, can't, be, you can't constantly live outside of a thankful heart. Why? Think about what the process is by which we exercise thanksgiving. You don't just... Thanksgiving isn't something you wake up and it's just sort of an emotional thing that's there. No, Thanksgiving is a reflective process where you begin to think about the things that God has done for you, the things that he's delivered you from, the blessings that he's poured into your life, the blessings that surround you, the people, the, the kingdom that is growing in your life, the, the, the eternal kingdom that you will be a part of. Heaven is your home. You just begin to dwell on it. It's exactly why we do communion. We remember what Christ did in his suffering and we grow thankful. That's how we're supposed to live. So put all these together. I got rooted. I'm being built up. I'm becoming more and more established. All of that leads me to a greater faith, and I am thankful for it. That's, that's a lifetime right there. You could just focus your life on Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, and you could live your whole life. I'm becoming more and more rooted. I'm putting down roots that are stronger. I am constantly building my faith. I am becoming more established in the kingdom. My faith is growing, and I grow more and more thankful every day. And let me tell you, you'd be a great person to be around. Uh, you'd, you'd have the kingdom of God in, my, in sight. Your life would be filled with goodness. I believe that. That's a great verse to make your life verse, Colossians 2, 7. This is a little bit, watch this. That's, this process sounded a little bit to me like a phrase that you hear in the book of Revelation over and over and over and over. You, you've heard, if you've read the book of Revelation very many times, when Jesus is talking to the churches of Asia Minor, the seven churches there, there's a phrase that he uses over and over. To him who overcomes. To him who overcomes. We hear it over and over. This sounds like, Colossians 2.7, sounds to me like how to overcome. You want to overcome the world? You want to stand before God, spotless, dressed in white raiment? You want to be who he's called you to be on this earth and then live with him for eternity? Base your life on Colossians 2.7, right? Let me read you a verse from Revelation that speaks to that. It's Revelation chapter 3, a couple of verses, 11 and 12. Listen to what uh, the Lord said. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. 
I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. Lots of metaphor there, but listen, the point is this. There's an overcoming to be engaged in. And how do we do it? We get rooted. We continue to be built up. We become more established, all of that through faith, and we live in an attitude of thanksgiving. That is good. That is good. Come on. That's, uh, that's good stuff right there. It's a great focus for your life. Verse 8, Colossians 2.8. Paul writes this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now, this is... This is laden. This verse is laden with application in today's world. I want you to think about all the different philosophies that are swirling around in our world about what's supposed to be important or what's acceptable or what's allowable or how we're supposed to live or how you're supposed to think or how you're supposed to react. All the different things that come out of our world and they change constantly. They change with each generation, things that were the norm a generation ago aren't today. It's a constantly moving target and a target that's constantly drifting further and further away from the truth of Scripture. See to it that no one takes you captive. All right, now, I'd said it earlier, but this book is entirely Christocentric. It is focused on Jesus. Without Jesus in the middle of our lives, in the middle of our thinking, in the middle of our philosophical approach to life, we are led away into error that has eternal consequences. Now listen, I want to say that again. If you remove Jesus from the center, and not, not your idea of Jesus, but the Word's idea of Jesus, in other words, a biblical Jesus, if you remove your focus off of Him, you're going to embrace, because everybody's a part of something, you're going to embrace philosophical positions and ways of thinking and worldviews that will lead you into error, and that error has eternal, eternal consequences. you got to keep Jesus in the center. you got to stay submitted to Him. you got to stay dependent upon the Word as your number one source of truth. You've got to interpret the Word according to the Word itself. You've got you to live in the center of the, world, uh, of the Word. You can't, you can't allow the world's philosophies to creep in. Now, listen to the nature of the teachings Paul, now, Paul is speaking about some specific things that are going on in his world, but this has application to every generation. He says, don't, don't let anyone take you captive, and that's what happens. They take, they take people's hearts, their minds, their, their lives captive, uh, and they do so with philosophical ways of thinking. And he says, don't let anyone take you captive through hollow, hollow, things that have no... They have no substance to them. They have no strength to them. They have no, they have no eternal value. In comparison to the things of God, they are hollow. He says hollow and deceptive philosophy. Man, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in secular university classes and, and heard positions and people with lots of degrees and yet their philosophies are hollow and deceptive. It is all humanistic. It focuses on our ability to self-govern and our ability to self-determine, self-determination that, that, that establishes what is right and wrong solely out of the heart of man. 
And we have proven over and over through time that we are, at our most base level, corrupt. There is within me the ability, without God, to to be terrible to other people and to live a life completely outside of who God would want me to be in a way that would be destructive to my family, to the world, to myself. To There would be nothing good in me without God. There is not this, this innate goodness in humanity. And when we remove Jesus, when we remove the kingdom of God and our submission to him and and his word is the standard for our life. When we begin to embrace this world's philosophy, and you can pick the topic, it doesn't matter, you're going to be led into error, successive error. Error that seems small in the beginning, but it's going to get bigger and bigger, and you'll be able to, it'll be more and more palatable as you go along. It'll, it'll, it'll be distasteful at first, but it'll get to where you don't, don't matter after a while. I asked my dad one time, this is the way it feels to me. Uh, my dad was not a believer, at least not in, not, certainly wasn't a Christ follower. He drank all of his life. And I asked him one time, he would, he would drink beer every day. And, and listen, I'm, I'm not getting into that issue, but, but I asked him one time, I said, Dad, do you really like beer? Do you really like the way it tastes? And, and his answer is still funny to me to this day, in its deception. He said, well... I don't really like it at first, but the more of it I drink, the more I like it. <laughs> That's exactly right. It, it, begins, it begins to numb your brain. You drink anything after enough of it. And I think that's exactly what happens with people's philosophical things. They, they take a little, they nibble around the edges at first. And then the further it takes you in, the more you can, you can tolerate. Be careful. I know so many people, people that I love that have begun to move away from God and some are far from God because of something that they felt or something that they wanted and their own hearts deceived them. The, the things that seemed good to them has led them in an error that is eternally consequential. So be careful. Just because the world embraces, just because, now listen, just because you can find a community of people or an individual or a group of friends that say something is all right, beware. Focus your heart on the teachings of the Word of God. It's the only eternal standard that will last. Be careful. Deceptive. Hollow, deceptive philosophies. Listen, where do they get their substance? They depend upon human tradition. They come out of the thoughts of man, men and women, they, they, they don't address what God says. They, in fact, they ignore. They have to. Because there is this humanistic tendency that moves God out. Why do we do that? What's the most basic issue when we do that? I, I want to self-govern. I don't want to be submitted to an authority to whom I am accountable. I want to do what I want to do. Uh, we do have free will, and we can choose this. Listen, I'm not saying, and I'm not, I would be a, my goodness, there, there aren't many things that I would fight vehemently to protect, but your right and my right to choose our own path, any religious system, this one included, that says you have to, that you must, um, I, I'm opposed to it. As a, as a governmental structure, as an organizational structure. But that doesn't mean that there's not an accounting 
There is an absolute authority. It's not me. It's not the church. It's not the government. It's not, I don't believe in those in those settings, but I do believe in an absolute authority to whom we will give an account. That's the Lord God. And while I don't think, listen, if you hear me saying, when I say you must, I don't mean that with a lever behind it. I'm, I'm trying to urge you to make the right choice, but you do have a choice. God created you with one. All of us do. We get to choose. We can absolutely embrace hollow, deceptive philosophies. That's why Paul gave the warning not to, not because we, we didn't have the choice. No, but because we did have the choice, you, you have to have a choice. God doesn't want robotic followers. He wants people that love him. He wants children that have chosen him. And that's what you have to do. That's what Paul is asking us to do here. Uh, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. That's, that's so straightforward when you read it like that, isn't it? There are those things that depend upon human thinking, human tradition, and the basic principles of this world. That When he says that, he's not talking about the dirt, the, 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 the planet. He's talking about the systems of this world, the, 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 the philosophies, the, the direction, the governance, the, the, the way of living, the way of thinking that rules this world rather than those that govern the kingdom of God and his servants. And that's what he said. Those things depend upon human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Paul is saying, don't choose the ones that come out of the world. Choose the ones that come out of Christ. Recognize his lordship. Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now, let me remind you of a couple of things here. Paul is writing to overturn false teaching that has denied this verse. Jesus isn't God. He says, yes, yes he is. Um, He's saying that all of those teachings come out of the world and they deny the lordship of Christ. And then Paul says, why is that a big deal? Because in him dwells the fullness of deity in bodily form. You can choose to ignore Jesus. But if you do, you're not just ignoring a good teacher or a rabbi or a prophet you're denying God. That's what he's saying. You're denying the creator. You're denying the ultimate authority. You're denying the one in Jesus who was both God and gave himself for you. You're, you're denying the only path to salvation, to eternal security, to, uh, to an eternity where you were created to be. You weren't created to be live on this earth forever and separated from God. You were created. We live here, but we weren't created to live here. Mankind was created to live in the presence of God in a place so, and it's not the stuff. It's not the, it's not the gates of pearl and the glassy sea, a crystal in the golden streets. And the, no, it's not that. It's his presence. There is something about who God is it, not just something, it, all of who God is, is the completion of us. That's the most simplistic way I can think, that I can think to say it. That there is in you a longing for him. You, you may not 
recognize it and may not submit to it yet. But that thing that you want, that we all want, that's God. And there's just one route to be right with him, and that's through the death and resurrection of Jesus and what he afforded us. He is God. Like, uh, or life with or in God happens only through an acknowledgement of who Christ is. Without submission to his deity and to the fact that he is deity, we are lost. One of the 16 fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, central. It's one of our central truths that we acknowledge that Jesus is God. Verse 10. Paul says, uh, let me read 9 and 10 together. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let me read verse 10 in the New Living Translation, just because it, it's, it's a little bit cryptic in verse 10 in the ESV, but let me read it to you in the NLT. You can see it on the screen there. So he said, let me read verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are complete through your union with Christ. When we talk, when you hear preachers talk, or when you discuss what happens when someone becomes a Christ follower, when you, when you submit your life, when you, when you pray the sinner's prayer, when you begin, your, whatever language you're most comfortable with, when you... When you begin your relationship with the Lord, what is it that happens? Well, we well your name's written in a book, and you're you know, and you're now one of the sons of God. You're restored. You're, you're all of, yes, all of that's true. But this verse, and I love it in the NLT, you become complete. There was a piece of you missing. That you were broken in a way that you could never fix. You could try to fix it with money or recreation or relationships or sex or, or entertainment or any of that. But you would never. And that, that might even satisfy for a little bit. But eventually all of that wears off. Eventually you're going to come back to that, that emptiness that only God fills inside you. And the reason is that the only way that you become complete, like the verse says, is through your union with Christ. And once again, remember, Paul is establishing who Jesus is, and then he reminds us, he says, who is the head over every ruler and every authority? You, you, you get to be in fellowship with the ultimate authority who rules over every other authority. You say, no, 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 there are lots of powerful people here. They're, it's all going to be seen one day. You're going to come to a place where you're going to recognize Man, he, he is it. The scripture says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's coming. He is the head over every ruler and every authority. There is another thing that I want to make sure that you understand here. There's a word that we use, and we Pentecostals didn't, didn't do it any favor in the way we tried to, tried to... I think our heart was right, but I think our practice were pretty whacked out a little bit. When we talk about holiness, what makes a person holy? For a long time, we thought it was the clothes that they wear and, and hair a particular way and the lack of things. You know, you don't wear any jewelry and women, no makeup. You know, you, you drive, you know, cars that are... And listen, nothing, nothing unholy about any of that, but, but you can do all of that and not be holy. You can do all of that and gossip. You can do all of that and be angry. You can do all of that and, and lie. You can do all of that and cheat and steal. And I mean... And if you do, you're certainly not holy. 
Because the holiness doesn't begin on the outside. It begins on the inside. Now, if you get the inside right and you're doing that stuff too, man, you, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But listen, it is through our union with Christ Jesus that we become holy. Now, what does that mean? Holiness in its most basic understanding in, in English terms means without deviation. You're not, you're not one thing in part of you and another thing in another part of you. The, that's, that's our problem. We, we, we can never rise, Romans says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the standard. If you're going to be in God's presence, you've got to rise to the level of His glory. You've got to rise to the level of His righteousness. And no matter how hard we try, we'll never get it. Now, there might be one part of you that does. You, you might be in relation to how you... Um, I don't know, pick an area. And I, I don't even know if this is truly possible, but, but you might have a piece of you that's good all the time. In your, uh, in your care for your parents, you might be perfect. I mean, you, you, you're the best son, best daughter ever. I mean, you, 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 you honor the Lord in all that you do. You're respectful. I mean, or maybe you're an employee who is always servant-oriented and you do what you do is under the Lord. And not, I mean, there might be an area, but it won't be all of the areas. You're going to have a piece of you that's going to be less. You're going, to have, you're going to have humanity. You're going to have sin. You're going to have flesh in there somewhere. And what this says is that in your union with Christ, you were made complete. There's a word that we use called justification, justified. It's actually, a, in, the, in the Greek language, it's actually a word that is used in accounting. When we justify our checkbook, we justify the books. We make sure that they are that, that our income and our expenses and the money in equals what's in there and the money out, supposedly the receipts, equal what's gone out. And we justify. Everything has to line up. That's exactly what Christ Jesus does for you. He justifies you. This piece that you're missing, he supplies it with his righteousness. You become complete through your union with Christ. It's not that every person, listen, it's not that that only really bad people go to hell. It's that anyone without Jesus goes to hell. Why? Because nobody can make up this difference. Here's God's righteousness. Here's the very best of us, and there's still a deficit. They can't be holy. Holy speaks to the fact that they are in every way, through and through, the same, and in this case, righteous. They're righteous everywhere, and there's only one. Only one sinless life, that was Jesus. So he takes his righteousness and applies it to us. We are made complete through our union with Christ. And he, because of that, he is the head over every ruler and authority. That's good. That's a good understanding of what happens to us when we get saved. That's why everybody needs it. You say, oh, but he's such a good man. Yeah, but he's not a good man in every way. He's not perfect. She's not perfect. She's not a perfect woman. And you got to be in order to be in the presence of God. And Jesus makes up the slack there. Look at verses 11 and 12. We'll do those together. Paul says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, uh, if you come from the West, circumcision just means, uh, well, little boys get circumcised a few days after they're born. It's part of our culture. 
came out of the Jewish world. We adopted it in the, in the Christian world. Lots of the world still doesn't practice circumcision. But this, is not, this, isn't, this isn't primarily talking about, it starts off talking about the physical act of being circumcised. But, but this applies to all people. So it's, you know, obviously girls aren't circumcised in our world physically. So what's he talking about? Circumcision in the New Testament world, or in the Old Testament world, and then brought forward, it was, a, it was a debate among the New Testament believers as to whether or not a believer should be circumcised as an emblem of, as a symbol of them being a part of the body of, uh, of the kingdom of God, which is part of what made Jewish people Jewish. The circumcision was part of a covenant that God made with Abraham. It was a, a symbol of their being set apart for God. Um, what Paul is saying here is that, listen, You've been circumcised. You've been set apart from God, but not with a circumcision done by human hands. You've been circumcised in your heart. You've, you've given the inside part of you up because it was possible to be physically circumcised and still be an evil, sinful person. What he is saying is that, listen, it's, it's not sufficient to just have an outward sign. That kind of goes back to the hair, the makeup, and the things that Pentecostals used to try to do to be holy. Listen, it's the inner part of us and that's what Paul is saying. In Christ Jesus, through a recognition of him, through a submission to the fact that he is over every ruler and authority and, 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 and every, uh, every head, every ruler, every authority, and because you've submitted yourself to that and you've recognized who you are, you've been circumcised in a way that's not about the physical part of you. You've done so by putting off the body of the flesh. What's that speaking to? That's speaking to the fact that we don't, we're not ruled by this flesh any longer. We are ruled in accordance with our submission to who Jesus is. It is by the circumcision of Christ. You have embraced him as king. You have embraced the teachings of the kingdom of God. I'm not living by the philosophies that are hollow and deceitful of this world. It's the kingdom of God's philosophies that guide me. How do we know those? Through God's word made alive by the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm not doing life any longer based upon how I feel. I'm doing life based upon the kingdom of God and the word of God, having been buried with him in baptism. Baptism is a symbol of our death that we have put off that old man. We've come back a new man, a new woman, and been raised through faith in the powerful working of God. That's what God's doing. He is bringing to pass in us the kingdom of God. You are submitting more and more to the things of God and moving further and further away from your flesh. I am, I've been rooted. I'm being built up. I'm being established in the things of the word of God rather than in the things of the flesh. It's not just human anymore. It's not just my natural self. It's my supernatural self that is now beginning to rule over this flesh. I have died, I've been buried in him, I've been raised through faith, so have you. And that's what Paul is calling us to. 13 and 14, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. Hear that justification? Canceling the record? That sounds like accounting, doesn't it? He just, he just marked off your debt. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Isn't that good? You owed a debt. 
You, you couldn't make up the difference between God's righteousness and you, and you were going to spend an eternity away from him. Jesus went to the cross, died for you. He took that debt, marked it out, filled it in with his righteousness, and now you have been forgiven, and the record of your debt has been canceled, and it's legal demands. If you entered into eternity, if you, entered into, if you died on this earth not having accepted Jesus and not having that made-up justification, that difference between your righteousness and God's righteousness, then the legal requirements, whose law? God's law. See, there's coming a moment when you will be submitted to the ultimate authority. You can choose not to on this earth, but there's coming a moment when his rule will be absolute. And if you hit that moment without the justification of Jesus afforded to you by him dying on the cross then the legal demands of that choice become a reality in your life. You enter eternity without Jesus. The legal demands of the law say that you are separated from God for eternity. You don't have to. Your loved ones don't have to. Why, why do we live missionally? Why are we promoting that in our church? Because most people have not yet had Jesus justify them and that's our job. That's what happens to you and I, though. Real quickly, verse 15. Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Mm. This is absolutely speaking about spiritual forces. I believe that. There was a... There was a there is a foe that fights against this justification, fights against men and women being made right with God, Satan. Um, a real spiritual battle ensues. And Jesus disarmed all of that. The, the, the hold that Satan had on the souls of men and women, the, the, the rights that Adam lost in his sin, um, we'll talk about that maybe some other time. But Adam, uh, Adam in, in one section of Scripture is called the first Adam, and Jesus is called the second Adam. Adam represented God on the earth. Adam gave, lost in, the, in the, his disobedience, ate the fruit, caused sin to come into the world, broke the covenant between mankind and God and caused man to be separated from God, from his physical presence, where we were intended to be. Sin and death entered the world. And in that, there were rulers and authorities that took hold of humanity. And we had no hope. Jesus comes on the scene, lives a perfect, sinless, spotless life, willingly lays down his life, dies on the cross. And when he does, in the Old Testament law, he becomes the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And when he did, he broke the hold, and he put to shame, and he disarmed Every authority, every rule that had a hold on your life. You, you take hold of Jesus. You give your life to him. You submit to his authority and his rule. Every other authority that had claimed to you, that's broken. You've now got a good shepherd instead of, a, instead of one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You have one now that loves you enough to lay his life down for you. And Jesus put all of them to open shame by triumphing over them. Let me just get you to remember one verse. It's back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. 
And it, it speaks to this. It says this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what happens when we serve the Lord. Mm, that's good. That's good stuff. All right. So walk in the Lord. Don't walk in the ways of the world. Why do we learn his word? So that we can secure our faith, so that we can grow, so that we can be more rooted, more built up, and better established um, in the kingdom of God. Colossians 2.7. Good stuff. Well, listen, thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, we'll be back here Sunday morning, 8.30 and 10.30. And hope you will join us then. Uh, have a blessed rest of your week. And remember, walk worthy of the call of Christ upon your life. God bless you. Have a great week. Bye-bye.